Thanks for being with us, guys. Um, this is this is DeFi Alpha, project lead over at Umami, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. We are uh, waiting on our friends from GMX to join. I'm not, not sure if maybe uh, something came up on their end. We've been uh, excited to chat with them because there's a lot of great stuff um, going on at GMX um, as with Umami. But until uh, until we get them to uh, be able to hop on the spaces, let's uh, let's take a poll, guys. Would you like us just to kind of dive into some Umami-related alpha? There's a lot that we can share, a lot that we can update you guys on. Um, and that's, uh, that's a conversation that I you know, would, would really like to have as well. So can we get some claps if that is, uh, is a preference for you? Um, obviously, if our friends at GMX are able to join, we will get right to that. Um, but otherwise, let's see some claps if uh, people want us to get into a little bit of Umami Alpha in the meantime. All right. I, I, see, I see some interest, but I, I need to see more. You guys need to persuade me. Where's, where's the love? If I see some claps, if I see some hearts from the majority of people listening, that might... Uh, Give us, there we go, there we go. Okay, I love it, I love it. All right, that's what I need to see. Well, with that, let's let's get into it. And, you know, again, just to, just to set expectations, if um, our friends at GMX are able to join, we are going to uh, hit pause on the, you know, just straightforward Umami Alpha drop and get into more of a dialogue with the GMX guys. But until then, Umami Alpha it is. So let's uh, let's hit on some, some highlights. Um, so first of all, I think, as, as many of you guys know, we have been nose to the grindstone building some really exciting new products that are going to be launching very soon. We have completed the protocol logic for the USDC vault, which is you know, the stablecoin vault that yields 30% APR. So those of you who are following us, um, I think that that's been kind of the number one new product launch that people have been you know, most keen to hear updates on. And, you know, we have very good news. It's the, the vault is complete. It is in testing now. We want to make sure that it is absolutely flawless. The vault is going to be included in our security audit with Zokio, which kicks off on the 25th. Um, and, you know, Tracer has, has dropped some alpha. Um, I see a few of our Tracer friends here now. Uh, Tracer has, has dropped some alpha that their V2 um, Perpetual Pool platform is going to launch extremely soon as well, and, and our vault is, is built around that. Um, it's, it's designed to take advantage of some of the unique functionalities for V2 Perpetual Pools. So the stars are aligned to have this vault live. We are aiming for, internally, we're aiming for June 3rd as our target for having the vault fully up and running on our front end. Um, that's not you know, sort of a formal target. But since you guys are here, we figured we'd um, give you a little alpha. We have not announced that beyond this AMA. So that's what we are aiming for right now. The vault is going to have all the functionalities that we've described, and we're extremely excited about it. Um, it will, at this point, if you look at the APR on the two kind of key component parts of the vault, which are the Tracer DAO perpetual pools and the uh, GMX's GLP index asset, um, you know, both of those are, are quite high right now. So we're seeing 40% plus APR and GLP. We've seen APR in the past week or so as high as 100% on the 3x levered ETH short position token on Tracer. So I, we expect this vault to exceed our expectations on APR, um, possibly quite considerably. And we are working with a really cool group called OT Balance that's building a pretty sophisticated model that will allow us to maintain as close as conceivable 
uh, to true delta neutral for this vault. And that's going to be coupled with some initial seed liquidity from our treasury to provide kind of an additional buffer. So we're feeling very confident about um, the ability of this vault to truly be delta neutral and, and just to uh, be extra certain that there are no risks, either you know market or otherwise, um, for vault depositors, along with having it audited by Zocchio. We are also going to purchase insurance for the vault. Right now, we're looking at uh, Cozy Finance, which has some pretty compelling options, but we're, we're speaking to some other folks as well. So that is sort of a high-level review of the Stablecoin Vault product. We're feeling really, really positive about it. Um, other major updates on our end, we have five new auto compounders that are also going to go live in tandem with the vault. And these include some really unique products. They're really not conventional auto compounders, and we will probably rebrand them to reflect that. There really are um, yield maximizing vaults for assets like Jones Dow and Associated Jones Farms, um, as well as, as various StockX farms that harvest rewards from those farms and single-sided stake them. So they generate no sell pressure for these projects. That's why we were whitelisted to build them. And they're going to be the highest available, uh, the highest yielding available option for getting exposure to DOPEX, farms, Jones Farms, and others. Um, and we're also going to have some more traditional auto compounders for balancer LPs. So all of these assets, um, all of these pro products are going to have you know pretty incredible generating potential for umami right and for those of you who are involved in umami i think you know the drill um, we have a product called marinate it's essentially you know a uh, staking on a monthly epoch and those people who stake their umami in that product they get they get a cut of our fee revenue our protocol revenue in the form of ETH paid out to them regularly and we're we have a APR right now that's been between 40 and 50% in ETH for staked umami. And we're very excited about, you know, what these product launches are going to do for the APR on, on umami, on staked umami, um, once they go live. The models that we've built suggest, honestly, millions of dollars in protocol revenue to umami from, for example, just the stablecoin vault, um, the 30% plus APR stablecoin vault. That's going to be such an attractive product and should capture so much TVL that based on you know the fairly modest fees that we're going to charge to depositors, we think that this stream of ETH-denominated income for umami stakers is going to be pretty mind-blowing. And that's going to be on top of the existing 50% APR that we're already generating. So this is an incredibly exciting time for Umami. Um, obviously, the market has been pretty rough, and I think you know everyone's been affected in some way. Um, if you look at tokens that have been sort of least impacted by it, I think Umami is is up there. We dropped to maybe you know eleven dollars from our peak of sixteen. You know, far less than uh, a lot of competing, um, a lot of peer projects. And if you look at our chart relative to ETH, rather than than USD, you'll see that we have just been continuing to gain, you know, significantly relative to ETH. So it's that, you know, relative outperformance compared to ETH that has um, kind of shielded us from, you know, being hit as, as hard by, by the market downturn. So we take that as a very bullish sign. And, and we think that, you know, we have a natural, um, I wouldn't even call it a hedge. There's just a natural buoyancy to the umami token because if you are generating 50 percent apr in eth and you are 
have a pipeline of products that are going to generate, you know, significantly more protocol revenue that will be passed on to to umami holders um, as you know even more ETH yield. There is really sort of a natural limit on on how far the token can fall before it becomes a ridiculous arbitrage relative to that ETH denominated yield. So we think that that you know is is really what accounts for our pretty robust trading, and it makes us feel really bullish and really optimistic. So you know it's great to see so many people listening to us, and you know we do think that uh, that you know we are finally as a project kind of hitting an inflection point where we're getting kind of the 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 attention the excitement um, around what we're building that that we've hoped to see and I know you know there's a lot of core community members that have been with us for a long time you know through some of the you know rougher days um, in in the market for you know peer projects like us and we're finally we're finally you know seeing what we have been building for for several months you know three four months now seven days a week um, get close to reaching fruition so you know for those of you who just joined because I'm seeing more people have hopped on. Um, just the key highlights that I, I really want to drive home are that we have a 30% APR, 30% plus APR vault strategy um, for USDC. It's a stablecoin vault, delta neutral, um, some of the highest APR you can find anywhere that is going to be going live very, very soon. Our internal target, we, we weren't going to announce this publicly because we don't want to um, you know, sort of tie ourselves too much to a specific date. But since you guys are here, we will drop some alpha. Our internal target is June 3rd to launch the USDC vault. That vault mints GLP and collects the 40% plus APR on that side and hedges the GLP's market exposure with TracerDAO's perpetual pool tokens and generates yield denominated in TCR on that side, swaps those, you know, various... Uh, various yield tokens it receives for USDC so that people can, you know, withdraw at their leisure um, with, you know, this the same, you know, total protection of the underlying deposited assets plus 30% plus yield also denominated in USDC. And we're launching that into a very volatile market, which is frankly perfect for a stablecoin vault. So we're very bullish on the prospects for that product. It's going to be accompanied by a suite of new staking vaults, effectively auto compounders, but they're they're pretty unique um, for DOPX farms, Jones Dow farms. We expect really, really significant TVL um, from all of these products, particularly the stablecoin vault. And we anticipate a really dramatic increase in ETH denominated yield for holders of Umami. If you stake Umami in our marinade product or in our auto compounder, you know, once these products go live, they're going to be collecting fees on all of that TBL. It's going to be converted to ETH and paid out to you if you're a holder of Umami or a staker. So we couldn't be more excited. We really believe in what we're building. We think that this is going to be, you know, a primary entry point to the Arbitrum network. We think we're in the right place at the right time, that there's going to be an enormous migration of TBL from mainnet to Arbitrum um, over the coming months, and that Umami, by building these sort of market risk hedged, yield optimized vaults and, and auto compounders focused on capturing the yield and fees generated by Arbitrum's leading projects, that this is going to be you know, a major selling point for Umami, a major selling point for the network, and is really going to help popularize Arbitrum and attract new users. So 
Um, for those of you who uh, are from the GMX community, I just want to thank you guys. GMX has been an incredible partner for us. And um, we, to honor that, we are going to be whitelisting all of you guys for a relatively, it's a relatively modest capital raise we'll be doing sometime in June. Um, the It'll be about 75,000 max umami that we'll be issuing via Dutch auction, but we want to privilege the community members of our closest partner projects um, in this in this Dutch auction. So we'll be whitelisting GMX as well as some of our other really great partners like Jones, Dopex, um, you know, fr our friends at Mythical. There's a long list um, of, of really you know close Arbitrum native project communities that we'll be whitelisting. But um, just want to let you guys know that you are you are welcome to participate if it interests you. Um, it'll be not, probably one of the better opportunities to build a substantial bag of umami with zero slippage, right? Which is really, you know, we think that the Dutch auction will probably end up pricing quite competitively relative to the market price for umami, but um, there will be no slippage and maybe a modest discount just depending on, on the auction dynamics. Um, so for those of you who are interested, make sure that if, you are, if you're on our Twitter account, you can click through to our AMA questions and chat. Um, we have a link to that Discord chat right up um, on our most recent tweet um, on our Twitter account. And you can just uh, just ping Mr. Grumpy Pants. He is our community manager, and he will help set you up with um, our special um, private channel for people who are interested in, in alpha around this OTC raise. Again, we are targeting sometime in June for doing it. Um, and those are our kind of our, our key points. And I, I should thank Firebrand. You read my mind. The other thing that we really need should mention um, and that I want to mention before we wrap up my my little spiel for the day. Um, actually, there's two things and there's one that I haven't shared with you yet, Firebrand. So um, I'm excited to, to do that. But we we are going to have a new UI and it's it's very lovely. It's completely different from the one that we have. We know that our current user interface, it is not the most user friendly. It also just doesn't capture who we are as a project. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't have a sophisticated dashboard. It's a, you know, cotton candy pink right now. And that's just, it's not, it's not the direction that we're going. We're, we're, we have a really beautiful, really polished UI in the works. We're going to launch an early sort of beta version of it. Um, internal target for that is the uh, 27th of May. And we are working with some really talented professional designers to develop that beta into a fully fleshed out, very professional quality um, use front end that and, and that will be that that will all play out over the ensuing weeks. So anyone who is dealing with kind of, you know, clunky UI or wondering, you know, why there isn't you know, a more developed dashboard that is going to change very soon. Um, and there's something really beautiful in store for you guys, you know, with the beta version coming out in just a week and a half, and then a more developed version probably sometime in June. Um, and we are, along with working, you know, as we mentioned earlier, we're working with OT Balance to build a very sophisticated model for our USDC vault, which will generate a ton of awesome dashboard data. We're also working with Multifarm. We announced that um, in a joint announcement earlier today. They built Olympus Dow's dashboard, um, and they are helping build ours as well. And that's going to be added to our front end. So expect really rich, detailed, and uh, you know very user-friendly data on, and, and metrics on all of our products very soon. Um, and the last thing 
and this is a little reward, I think, for those of you who who joined. Um, as many of you guys were here ten minutes early, even um, for this AMA. So we're just gonna we're gonna dump all the alpha um, for this awesome group that we have. This is a big one. This is uh, this this will take a little bit of explanation, and we will be putting out a you know formal post on our Medium blog, our blog on Medium, um, explaining it in more detail, but. Umami, you know, I think as you guys know, we're very, very serious. We're building something real. I think, you know, some people still associate us with being kind of a, you know, DGen kind, you know, DIY, um, all anon project um, on Arbitrum, and, and that those were our roots. But we're going in a much bolder direction than that, and it's really, it's really moving fast. So, those of you who've been following us, you know that we already have uh, Docs advisors. We have a Docs multi-sig holder, Nick. W. We have a doxed legal advisor, Alex Kolibitsky, um, who you know is is now you know, very involved in our team, and we're getting audited by Zokio. So those should be some early indicators that we're going in a pretty bold and serious direction with this project. Um, but we're going to take another big step. We are going to be creating two legal entities um, for Umami Finance, and I'm going to explain how that's going to work briefly. And we're going to have a more detailed announcement on our blog this week. Um, but long story short, Umami, DAO, Umami is a DAO and you know, will always be a DAO. And the assets in the treasury and all of its products and all of the governance decisions around Umami will always be made by its DAO community and its multi-sig. That's never going to change. So one legal entity that we're creating to formalize our standing as a DAO is a Cayman Islands-based DAO foundation. This comes with absolutely no restrictions or limitations on us, and this foundation won't be holding any assets. It mainly exists to really just make clear who we are and give us the benefits of having sort of an, an IRL, if you will, um, entity you know that can that can represent us and you know handle you know uh, create a fiat bank account, for example. Um, but more than anything, just clarify that, you know, Umami is a ownerless, leaderless DAO. Um, and at the same time, we're going to create, and you guys are probably quite familiar with this structure. We actually did file the paperwork today, um, an LLC based in Delaware um, called Umami Labs. And Umami Labs is not going to be an owner of Umami DAO. It is not going to... Um, have any governance. It's not going to hold any treasury assets. Um, it will be a completely independent entity, but it's going to be able to provide incredible support on the dev side for Umami DAO. And so if you see where I'm going with this by kind of having that Cayman Islands entity for Umami, very much makes clear that the DAO is the DAO and is a completely independent entity. Umami Labs, the LLC that will be based in the United States, will be strictly a technology company, but it's gonna give us unbelievable firepower in terms of being able to hire full-time developers. Um, it's probably going to be headquartered in New York City. That is our plan. Um, we're gonna be hiring full-time developers. They're gonna be helping build you know, this very ambitious suite of products that we have on our pipeline. Um, you know, those of you who follow us closely know that this USDC vault, the 30% plus APR, USDC vault that we've been talking about is just the beginning of our vision for what we want to build on Arbitrum. And we eventually want to have a comprehensive suite 
of of products that allow people to have risk hedged exposure and kind of build their own portfolio um, for the entire Arbitrum ecosystem. So, you know, we have a really bold vision. We are going to need all hands on deck. We need to be able to source talent, you know, very effectively. Um, and we think that having, you know, options effectively for, you know, those who want to work in sort of a Web3 and non-basis, Umami DAO will exist for them to do that. Those who want to work in a more trad, um, trad tech environment through Umami Labs, you know, this is this independent technology company, um, will will also have that option. And it'll be in New York City where there's an incredible amount of dev talent. So if you, you know, you're really, if you're here, you're catching us at the beginning of something really ambitious. And we are, we're building really quickly and scaling really quickly. And this initial vault launch is just going to be a first taste of, of this overall direction that we're trying to move in. And I think what you're going to see over the next quarter is a dramatic expansion in the speed of product launches, the breadth of products that we're going to offer. Um, and of course, you know, for Umami holders and marinators, the volume of protocol revenue that will be being paid out to stakers of Umami as ETH passive income, passive income denominated in ETH. So that's our vision. We're going to have more updates. And I'm sure there are lots of questions around that. But I just want to share with you guys some of you know, the excitement that I have, because I, I think everyone on the team is really, really excited um, that we are building something real and serious. So with that, let's open it up to questions. Does anybody have uh, questions that they want to ask us? Oh, here's JD Tiger. Ask away, my friend. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Doing good. How are you? Good. Super, super exciting news with uh, the development of the two different uh, entities. Um I was just hoping that you could speak more on, uh, especially in the, the United States entity that was created, what are some of the benefits that you guys could end up providing um, that you think would not only benefit, obviously, Umami holders, um, but the substantial growth that you guys are trying to get um, from a DeFi development standpoint? That's a great question, and, and thanks for, for asking that. So. Um, first of all, I guess one thing just to kind of give you guys maybe an analogy to help you under, understand sort of how we're thinking about this. This structure that we're talking about is really quite common. So you know, Uniswap, for example, there's an on-chain DAO-like entity. And then there's also a, you know, it's actually also headquartered in New York, uh, in a registered um, corporate entity called Uniswap Labs, right? Um, our partner is Tracer. They have Mycelium as their sort of off-chain um, corporate entity that houses you know, some of their full-time staff and development team, and then TracerDAO is fully on-chain DAO. Um, so the biggest benefit, if, if I'm being you know, um, direct, is that you know, I've learned as an operator in the DeFi space, you know, in, in Web3, that it's frankly just very hard to source and assess and manage talent in a fully anon um, environment. It, it sometimes it works out wonderfully, and obviously, you know, the folks on our team are all you know Web three native, and we met them, you know, through um, just through sort of the the channels that are available to us on chain, and it's worked out very well. But the, the key thing that I think I want to drive home to people who are listening is that you know 
we we want to do we, we're going to be launching this USDC vault and these auto compounders and that is really exciting and it's going to generate you know again po- probably expect million well over a million one two maybe three million based on our models of, of revenue you know just from that one product launch the USDC vault um, over the course of a year for umami holders but there is so much more to be built right and the truth is you know I think any project that's operating on Arbitrum right now, including us, we're kind of inheriting a, an opportunity of a lifetime by virtue of being on this chain at this particular time, because we really are expecting, you know, to continue to see an enormous migration of TVL from Ethereum over here. Um, and we think that, you know, the DeFi ecosystem, which is already taking off, is just going to continue to become even richer, it's it's far lower gas fees, far faster time to finality than mainnet, but inherits mainnet security. Um, and I think that we're going to see a lot of DeFi functionalities that currently happen on mainnet or on Altel ones, many of which have been hit quite hard lately, as you know, migrate to Arbitrum. And, and I'm giving that you know spiel as as a preface um, for you know my broader point with Umami Labs, which is you know if you want to capture the potential upside as a project of you know that level of TVL migration, right? There are three hundred billion dollars roughly in TVL on mainnet, billions as well on Altel ones, and we and also you know many new options for on ramping fiat. We think all that will um, Arbitrum will be capturing a really sizable chunk of that, and the DeFi ecosystem is going to be exploding. We want to keep up, and we want to be a major project on. Arbitrum, we actually want to be kind of the primary gateway for new users onto the network, um, kind of offering this broad-based exposure to the growth of the network, um, even before they're fully familiar with all the other incredible projects on um, on Arbitrum. And so if that's our goal, we really need to be able to scale fast, right? And so the truth is, saying all this because if we can also, we're going to be based headquartered in New York City. If we can hire talent, you know, through conventional channels, through this Umami Labs entity, um, which again will be totally independent from Umami DAO, um, we're going to be so much more competitive. I mean, frankly, there's not going to be any DAO. I can think of some major DAOs like Yearn. And the reality is that if you are entirely Web3 based and you have a loose, wholly decentralized DAO governance structure, you're going to have a harder time scaling products, perfecting them, fixing bugs. Um, And so we're going to be in a, we're going to have a massive competitive advantage. And this is, we're going to use this to roll out a ever broader and more sophisticated suite of products, you know, in part driven by an, an, an office in New York city, New York city headquarters with, you know, full-time staff, um, you know, whose resumes we'll be able to see, who we can scout on LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, none of this will compromise in any way the decentralization, privacy, or security of Umami DAO, which will remain exactly as it is. Um, but the competitive advantage will be enormous. So I, I hope that that, does that address your question, JD Tiger? Yeah, uh, for the most part, it, it does. The only specific at, or, um, aspect of that that I would be interested in um, learning more, and maybe it's not fully understood yet, um, even from your side, what this could look like. But um, I'm curious, 
uh, on what the creation of that entity um, would be from a specific standpoint of what kind of benefits can you provide um, to new types of employees? How will that be funded? Um, and oh, what yeah. does that look like? Yeah, I mean, we're still um, kind of finishing up the finer points, but uh, pretty straightforward, honestly. Right now, you know, we are very transparent, as you know, about our OPEX, and we publish a monthly report on you know our treasury, um, all the details of our treasury. We include a line item for OPEX, and you know, our operational expenses right now are in the form of USDC sent to on-chain wallets for our, our team. Those members of our team, and it'll probably be a substantial portion, who choose to join Umami Labs LLC, um, they'll just get, you know, they'll get the same compensation, but Umami Labs LLC will probably invoice um, Umami, and, you know, the appropriate amount of USDC will be sent to Umami Labs, which can then convert it to fiat and pay people accordingly as employees that way. And, of course, you know, the, the DAO will still be the DAO, so the community will have full transparency into this and, you know, the same level of participation um, that they've always had. Um, nothing will fundamentally change right away. But then over time, you know, as we continue to scale ambitiously, you know, there's been an understanding, I think, you know, on our part, the team's part, the community's part, that we're going to need to hire more devs, obviously, to make this ambitious plan a reality. Um, you know, there can start to be direct hires by Umami Labs, much like any other tech company makes a direct hire, you know, full-time staff with benefits and uh, and fiat compensation. And, you know, that'll just be one lever, right? If we meet great talent on Web3, the DAO, Umami DAO, can hire them and just use the same method that we've always used. But Umami Labs will just give us access to another huge pool of talent. So, um that hopefully that offers some clarity. If you want to talk in more detail, um, just reach out to us. And again, this is all very new and it's moving fast. So we'll have more details, but hopefully that gets you a sense of the general structure. Absolutely does. Appreciate it, guys. Sure thing. And we've got Fredegar Christensen um, from GMX. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. How how are you doing? Thanks thanks for hopping on. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Good evening, everybody. Apologies for the tardiness. Uh, I'm still new to Twitter and still figuring out uh, all these uh, different mobile and desktop functions, but uh, we are here now, so I just appreciate the, the time that you guys have set aside to have us here. Yeah, and then likewise, we're really happy to have you. And um, <laughs> you saw we, we ended up winging it a little bit and just kind of dropping some general umami alpha, but I'm del delighted to have you on um, as well. And maybe I'm trying to think about sort of the best way to uh, to do this. You know, one thing that I will flag just really quickly for, you know, those of you who are GMX community members, I think you all know this. I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, GMX has been an incredible partner to us. And one of the ways that we want to thank GMX and its community is by whitelisting um, all of you guys, anyone who's a significant GMX holder, um, to participate in our OTC uh, fundraise, which will be in the form of a Dutch auction. And, you know, we'll be going live sometime in June. And if you're interested, um, if any of the stuff we've been talking about is compelling and you just even just want to learn more about the fundraise and ask questions, we have a special channel called OTC Pledges in our Discord. So we already have a link to AMA questions in chat um, right up on our Twitter account. So you can click through to get to our Discord that way and just uh, reach out to Mr. Grumpy Pants who can help 
get you all signed up. I just dropped a uh, ping for him so you can see his Discord handle um, in the AMA questions channel. So just uh, hop on in if you're interested. And with that, yeah, so we're, we're really, really happy to have to have you here, Friedergal, and, and wondering if you have uh, any any questions for us, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the really cool stuff that GMX is up to. Yeah, so I, I guess like, you know, one of the first questions that I have off of the top of my head was, um, what was the inspiration for, say, like a stable coin vault strategy versus something, you know, maybe a bit more exciting, say like a, a, re- a rebase token or like some kind of... Um, other kind of like staking strategy. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, yeah, a rebase token would have been very exciting in current market conditions, wouldn't it? Um, I'm, I'm being a little bit playful, but uh, <laughs> look, I think that I, I think that you know, I, I, we we had a really interesting chat with the folks over at DeFi Mafia, if you know them, about this topic recently, and I'm curious what you guys think. But one thing I've always really admired about GMX is that you guys have. Um, you guys have tokenomics that are grounded in, you know, the un- really, you know, sustainable and you know, growing underlying value that you're creating through your GMX trading platform, right? So the GMX token itself has a claim on ETH. GLP also has a claim on on ETH, the the fee revenue from the trading platform. And I think that after kind of the Ohm fork fallout, and not to mention sort of just recent extreme market volatility in the space. People are, you know, much less attracted to, you know, rebase tokenomics or anything, anything Ponzu. So whether it's a rebase token, whether it's just a token that is sort of, you know, very emissions heavy and juices up um, yield by by constantly minting more of its protocol token. Um, and I think that, you know, particularly given the fact that we are looking at, you know, probably a pretty protracted bear market that, you know, for a lot of people, the, the question is, you know, how can I get exposure to, you know, the incredible things going on, you know, in blockchain generally, in Arbitrum specifically, without taking on a lot of underlying risk, right? And you, know, you guys with GLP have created this incredible product that does exactly that. And, um, you know, I think what we're doing is essentially kind of iterating on that to make it, you know, as you pointed out, truly delta neutral. Um, for that large group of people that, you know, either you know, they, they want a place to farm stable coins, they look for the highest APR um, options possible, and possibly, you know, they want to also put take some leverage on, right, and put leverage against that. And the fact that this is going to be a vault that's tokenized with the ERC4626 standard, so, you know, we'll issue a fully fungible vault token, opens up really cool options for, you know, adding leverage or you know, taking advantage of other, you know, potential utility for the vault tokens. So, you know, we, yeah, it's, it might not be as exciting as a rebase token, but, but it excites us um, just because there, there is such a demand for this sort of product right now. No, definitely. And um, one thing that was like exciting for me is the fact that, I mean, if you look at the Arbitrum DeFi space, like at the time that, you know, projects like GMX or Umami have entered, there weren't too many other products that were, you know, friendly to new users. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're someone who's, you know, really big into DeFi, then like Arbitrum was, you know, a playground. You could go there, you could, you know, options on Dopex, you know, you could leverage trade on GMX, you could leverage trade on, you know, Capper, you know, some other platform and, you know, do all these cool things. But in terms of finding somewhere safe to park your capital, especially if it's a new ecosystem that you're trying to familiar, familiarize mm-hmm. yourself with, you know, there's no product that has yet been provided for you just to do that. And that's kind of what 
I think is, you know, one of the great things with the stable coin vault is that mm-hmm. it will not only attract a lot of like liquidity or capital from other chains, but it will kind of attract the the capital that is kind of like fundamental to growing an ecosystem, which are like the the newcomers, the people who are kind of like looking for that one network that is both, you know, uh, full of a, a lot of products, but also very uh, efficient and, you know, accessible on transaction costs. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, that's really what Arbitrum is going to become. It's going to become essentially like what Ethereum should have been you yes. know, all years ago. So to have a place where you could safely park your capital, get some reliable gains on top of that, mm-hmm. especially in the bear market now, I think is going to be, you know, an incredibly, incredibly prime, you know, opportunity to be in. And, you know, the fact that you guys are working to do that, I think is, you know, amazing and a lot of foresight. So, you know, props to you guys for that, for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, and and I I appreciate that you the the way that you just sort of articulated the state of the Arbitrum ecosystem is exactly how we think about it, right? Like Arbitrum is just you know the the low gas fees and and the far faster time to finality have you know made possible projects you know like GMX, right, or or like Tracer or Dopex that are just doing things that are so much more sophisticated than what could be, you know, conceivably executed on mainnet, right? It's hard to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. imagine trading, you know, leveraged perps on mainnet with, you know, sluggish time to finality in every TX, right? And like high speeds from right? chain link on mainnet, like, come on. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it's attracted some of the most sophisticated DeFi projects, which is really cool. And I think it's going to, you know, that's going to continue to be a huge catalyst for the ecosystem. But to your point, like how does the retail investor who might not be quite up to speed on options or leverage perps trading, how do they, you know, maybe they see that this is a really cool thing that's going on on this network, but how do they get exposure to it? Right. Um, in, in a more, you know, sort of risk managed and sort of very um, simple way um but i think the other thing that we're kind of psyched about is it's not only about you know creating these products that hopefully kind of make it easier for a lot of users to kind of migrate and get that initial exposure to the network but the hope is that you know in doing so we help support you know folks like yourself or tracer or dopex you know with additional liquidity right and so that's kind of like the, the beauty of you know how projects growing on top of other projects can kind of support the self-fulfilling ecosystem growth, right? Like as more people, you know, who might not have been ready for Arbitrum three months ago are now able to enter through, you know, sort of simple risk hedged vaults, you know, that's more TVL for the ecosystem and it's getting directed to, you know, these projects that do really incredible things with the liquidity. At least that's, that's our hope. No, hundred percent. And you know, someone has to do it first, and I mean, you guys are taking that that chance, and um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see how it rolls out. Really excited. Yeah, um, and it's you know now that now that we've got you here, you know, we'd love to chat about GMX because I mean, this is you know as we're building this, and this is kind of the the nature of the game, right? I mean, you guys are we're we're building this this vault that's sort of optimized for some of the incredible you know current you know products and and tokens that you guys have uh, available. And as we're doing that, you guys are moving in some really exciting directions with, you know, your X4 um, protocol controlled automated market maker and, you know, possibly sort of a new um, sort of fully fungible um, token, you know, tied to your trading platform, the the GD token, as, as it's been described in, in the yeah. post. I'm you know, yeah, really curious to hear about where you're going with all these things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So 
I think the the best way to kind of describe like the course that we're headed on and like where we're going is to kind of do a review. So the the place I think that makes the most sense to to go back because you know the the head dev X has been you know in this space for a long time doing some pretty pivotal work things like XFix or whatever, but you know I think what we really started to see a lot of like the heavy lifting of like X's big brain is kind of like with Gambit and Gambit is essentially, you know, the same thing as GMX now, except for GLP at the time was USDG. So it was supposed to be dollar pegged over collateralized. And this was way back before I think really there was any attempt to kind of like come up with a stable coin in this kind of way, not that, you know, over collateralized, but kind of like, this over collateralized and fee earning stable coin that you know essentially is the counterparty risk to traders. The issue with that was maintaining the peg put us in a really hard position where like we had to manage the capital a lot more closely than we wanted to. And then on top of being on you know the Binance smart chain, um, bots were front running the the price feeds. I'll, a lot more easily than they can now. So it led to essentially just like a really hard peg to maintain. So it essentially got sunset, but it, we, you know, we learned a lot of lessons from that. And the main lesson was like, you know, we can kind of ignore the dollar peg for keeping a floating index, which is a lot more attractive to users anyways, who still want to maintain some kind of long exposure to the large caps that are, you know, essentially driving the market anyway, which are Bitcoin and Ethereum. But that that's just like the surface kind of like genius of like what GMX is. If you like go deeper into it, it's an exchange where the liquidity is provisioned not by paired LP tokens, where you're asking for users to have high conviction on two type of coins, essentially, right, to provide liquidity, right? Like you have to have high conviction for say, like if you're providing a pair for like um, something wacky, like say like. I don't know, pancake swap and like um, nerve token, right? Before synapse was synapse, right? You didn't have to have really high conviction in both the cake token as a, as a liquidity provider and the nerve token at the time to want to both stake your capital and then park it there for a long period of time, right? And I mean, even to take pancake swap, not to like bash them or anything, but just to use them as an example of like what we're not doing and kind of like what we've improved from with pancake swap like as an lp provider like you're getting just cake on top of your 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 stake you know what i mean like that's your reward and like cake doesn't have you know much value past just like holding and staking and earning more which you know essentially mimics the same problem that we have now with like inflationary based you know fiat currencies where it's just like you know it just gets kind of like printed endlessly and it dilutes the value of like the the token right or like the the cash fiat like in currency in circulation excuse me over time so it's like how how do you encourage or incentivize capital to park for a long period of time and how do you get rid of say like the issue of paired lp tokens and the the permanent loss risk that comes with them x comes up with the, this idea of kind of disintermediating markets by saying all right gmx will be kind of like this overall otc market will allow uh capital or excuse me will allow liquidity providers to you know deposit capital with these whitelisted assets of any kind 
and receive a free floating, a free floating um, represent, representational kind of like index token instead. And what that index index token will do is not only you know give you long exposure to ETH and um, Bitcoin as well as you know fifty percent exposure to stables. It will also earn you platform fees and incentive fees in you know escrow GMX. The platform fees are paid out in Ethereum. Um, that allows for sustainable long-term you know fee accrual for our users, and it's long-term because we're not pumping out some kind of token that essentially is only purpose is to be printed out, right? Like Ethereum is already an established you know use value you know crypto big cap. Everyone you know knows that essentially Ethereum is like the backbone of DeFi, right? So there's no question about like its long-term value proposition. Therefore, it's a lot more sustainable to pay out our liquidity providers something in like Ethereum as opposed to say something like if we were to do GMX, especially, if, you know, and that would put mad questions on things like our supply, our supply schedule, our emission schedule, right? GMX is capped. That's not something that we are wanting to print out for a long period of time because the point isn't to have a lot of GMX circulating. Um, right. The point is really to have this platform, which can create many markets on top of it. And through creating and managing those many markets, you know, there's a steady stream of various revenue sources that can be directed back to not just liquidity providers, but eventually the, the few GMX stakeholders who really believed in the project and wanted to stick through and, you know, accumulate however much they could of the 13.25 million, you know, or 13.5 million of GMX that's out there. Um, all that to say is that there's this really creative and sustainable liquidity provision model that GMX runs on top of that then allows for the platform to kind of act like this over-the-counter mediator to allow for zero impact trades and low slippage. And that's what's you know really driving the attraction for traders that you can enter like a $5 million, $10 million, you know, Ethereum, Bitcoin, you know, long and there's no price impact whatsoever. You cannot do that on a centralized exchange with a centralized order book because their order book is kind of like its own isolated market and any kind of position of size necessarily impacts, right? That centralized, uh, apologies, I have a dog. That centralized um, kind of like market that they've created, whether it's Binance or FTX. And you can't really even do that with something like you know, mango markets or gains with like a virtual, you know, automated market maker, because as an automated market maker, which relies on the typical LP model of paired tokens, right, size trades will essentially have a large impact on one direction or the other of that ratio, right? And that's entirely eliminated by the GMX platform, because the platform itself is essentially able to draw from this very large, very deep liquidity pool and essentially just do the trades over the counter for people using the platform and to me that's kind of like the the genius right so mm -hmm. i describe it as right so i mean if you look at just the landing page it just says you know decentralized perpetual exchange mm -hmm. um but i think you know we could do ourselves a, a lot more justice and go a step further and say it's really more like a disintermediated um counterparty risk clearinghouse the same way that like the new york stock exchange might just be considered a centralized counterparty clearinghouse so that's to me the the real long-term valuation of like 
GMX is that it has, in fact, successfully already achieved the minimal viable product that a crypto protocol can in terms of mimicking something as powerful and as useful as like the New York Stock Exchange. But because it's on, right, smart contracts completely kind of like disintermediated, it's way more efficient and a lot more value is driven instead of like to the platform is driven to the users who are part of the platform because it disintermediates all of these roles and includes everyone into it. Or it gives the opportunity for everyone to be included on any end of these parts of these roles. You know, I'm really glad that you walked us through that because I, I think that there is still not, you know, as much of an appreciation in, in the broader marketplace as there should be for sort of the breadth of what you guys are offering on Arbitrum. I think that a lot of people, and I'm curious if this sort of resonates with you, um, I think that a lot of people still think of GMX as, oh, yeah, cool, like a really, you know, sophisticated and, and um, you know, fast and, and, you know, reliable sort of decentralized perpetuals trading, you know, perpetuals exchange. Um, and to your point, the, the really incredibly deep liquidity that you've created you know, here on Arbitrum with, um, with you know, the, the, the liquidity pool that's represented by GLP is, you know, has so much, you know, potential beyond, you know, just the, the trading platform, as you pointed out. And I know that, you know, Carney and myself were, were noticing, you know, as, as you mentioned, that there are, you know, really large block trades in, in tokens like ETH and BTC, you know, through the GMX, um, platform that you know have very low slippage that probably couldn't be replicated anywhere else right and you know one thing that we were sort of hypothesizing when we were talking about um what you're building at gmx is you know that this this could you know create you know it could be a huge catalyst for tvl moving over to arbitrum because you know any any whale on mainnet who wants to have liquidity for you know their very large btc or eth holdings um for example um, their best bet is to move that over to Arbitrum and, and trade, you know, through through GMX's pools because um, they can get extremely low slippage. And, you know, I know that you've talked about, you know, sort of building, you know, on on what you already offer um, through sort of this this X4 model that will, you know, allow protocols to kind of develop, you know, very bespoke, um, you know, models for for LPs, sort of even more so than you see with um, with Uniswap v3, which is already pretty pretty customized, and you know, I think that that'll be a really exciting way to kind of leverage the value from all of this deep liquidity you've created. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious your your thoughts on that, and if that's sort of how you guys you know also think about kind of the the direction GMX is going, and you know if you do think people should you know think of GMX sort of much more broadly than just the the current you know leverage perpetuals trading platform that it's so well known for. Definitely. That's, that's a great question. So kind of with all that context, I kind of just like spewed out, you know, just a while ago with that in mind, right there, there were some questions that came up that had to be considered that did eventually push us into what is now the, the X4 proposal. Um, so one of the considerations or kind of like one of the, the ways that, but the, that the problem emerged is that because GLP is such a complex product, it kind of started to be a matter of balancing kind of two different interests. 
So there's like the interest of GLP depositors who see GLP as an index and therefore don't want certain assets in the GLP index, which means also, right, that we cannot whitelist certain assets to be traded, which, right, needs to be considered for the other side of other interests, which is the people who might just want fees. And for the people who are interested in just fees, right, they might be more concerned with like, hey, let's consider and let's do, in fact, right, list some tokens that while maybe a little bit more volatile than ETH and Bitcoin, you know, have a little bit more volume in general because people like to trade them. And, you know, because people like to trade them and they have volume, we can generate fees off of that. So it became a question of like, if we do want to, you know, this is, these are all incredibly valid points. We do want GLP to be a very solid and resilient index asset, especially when there's not too many of those on the crypto market right now, especially like, you know, organic ones that actually do consist of, you know, un these underlying assets in real time, right? A lot of times they're just like virtual, you know, representations or whatever. So one of the considerations was, why don't we do like maybe like an isolated GLP or something like that, where like the isolated GLP would be, you know, consisting of a lot more riskier assets, maybe even higher leverage, different fee structure. Um, but the whole point being that like all the other DGEN assets that were, not up to, to par for our main net or our, our not main net, but our, our main flagship GLP. Those would be in the isolated um, GLP pool. Another question was, you know, utilization rates. Sometimes there's periods of time where ETH is, you know, only being utilized about 25%, which means like technically there's about 75% of our ETH reserve that we could be doing something else with to be, you know, extracting as much value out of that capital as possible. And one of the things that was considered was maybe incentivizing people to take the counter trade uh, more readily than we already incentivize people to trade in general. So things like positive funding rates to take up, say, shorts or longs on the opposite side of trades for, you know, certain assets that could be utilized further. So with all these considerations in mind, we were like, this is really more of a perfect opportunity. And I'm really kind of just <laughs> riffing. I, I don't know entirely what, right, X's thought process. He's a genius. So, like, whatever really drove him to X4 or whatever, you know, that's anyone's guess. But it, it's not to say that there wasn't, right, this opportunity to consider some wildly more dynamic approaches to making markets and also providing not just liquidity, but encouraging volume such that all the assets that you do have, and this is just in general speaking, right? All the assets that you do have in a reserve are being used as efficiently as possible and therefore generating as much revenue, mm -hmm. which in our model can be driven, give me back 30% to GMX stakers, 70% to GLP stakers as it currently stands. So that's when we came up with X4 and um, GD, which again, still a mystery to anyone, <laughs> any one of us, what X means by GD. We don't know if that means like GMX dollar or something like that, but we have GD. So X4 would work a little bit more like some traditional markets where like, you know, Uniswap or SushiSwap, if you want to provide LP, right, you might like pair up some tokens. But what's more interesting about X4 is not really the, the LP model, but more how it gives protocols way more customization 
on how they launch that liquidity and manage it over a period of time. So that means that you can do some really neat things such as have a token where in the LP pool, right, maybe there's a slightly higher fee for selling the token than buying it. And maybe that, you know, fee is circulated back to token holders or something like that or to a DAO or whatever. Or maybe you want to have some kind of like interesting kind of like burn and tax emission kind of like function on the sell. Maybe you want to have like a neat promotional buy opportunity where like, or not opportunity, but like um, campaigns, like you want to kind of like encourage people to buy early on. So like maybe you have like first, you know, 5,000 token swaps, you know, for this, you know, kind of token, you get like, say, maybe a positive funding rate or something like that. The whole point is that X4 in a way that Uniswap or SushiSwap don't do now gives protocols who want to, you know, deploy liquidity and manage it really granular controls. So that way they can really pull the most out of like their tokenomics without having to like, say, rely on mechanics that are, you know, things that happen after market, which can kind of really present like a gaming opportunities that weren't, you know, previously anticipated and which can kind of disrupt um, kind of like the intended flow of the ecosystem that like the developers had for a particular project. So, you know, X4 is kind of like a solution to that. And then GD is more like a solution for our underlying, our underutilized assets. GD is essentially kind of like a more direct counterparty pool where it's like if, you know, say there's 23% utilization on Ethereum and almost all of it are longs, maybe, um, you know, with GD, there's a positive funding rate as opposed to like you paying to like enter a position or whatnot and manage it to essentially take the short right for Ethereum. And maybe that positive funding rate goes for as long as, you know, it takes to get essentially $23 or $23 million of open interest in shorts on Ethereum. Then at that point, we have a further utilization of our Ethereum, but also a balance on the open interest volume for longs and shorts, which ensures that not only is the capital being used efficiently, but, you know, there's the, the maximized revenue return uh, for our holders. So that's kind of the, the power of GD and that the basic underlying ideas of that, right, are just like PVP trading. So that's what I meant earlier when I said it's a little bit more direct than GLP because it's kind of like by entering a, um, a position or whatnot, right, like you're immediately burning or minting the, the GD. And then, of course, there are like liquidity p- providers still if they want, right, to provide capital deposits for GD the same way that you would with GLP. Um, but the point is that it's just more direct and essentially the the funding model would be a, l- a little bit more dynamic to encourage full utilization of our, our capital that we have under our control. So um, that's kind of what the thinking is for X4 and GD. And I believe X4 is probably what we'll be prioritizing and GD will be launching alongside GLP, but probably on a different network for testing purposes because you know it does like it you know a lot of this is so kind of forward thinking that when it comes to at least at least the pvp part like x4 i can understand pretty um you know squarely and explain it but the gd and the pvp automated market making is definitely a lot more cutting edge and um i'm i'm excited to learn more about it i'm excited to see x say more about it um but Really, all this shows to me is that like he's clearly two or even three steps ahead of 
um, a lot of where the direction of DeFi is heading. So, um, you know, very, very lucky to be working with them. Definitely. And it's, it's very, it's very exciting. And I guess just one thing for, for me and probably for, for listeners, um, as well, just, um, to clarify, will, will, is the, is the long-term vision that GD will replace GLP or will exist alongside it to address kind of, uh, these open interest imbalances that, that rise up, you know, sometimes on the trading platform? Uh, it, it sounds like it has the potential since, People can play the role of being liquidity providers and receive GD to to replace GLP, but I, I just want to make sure I understand that properly. No, that's a that's a good question. So, from what it seems like now, and also just I think this kind of implied in the X4 uh, Medium post that I believe is pinned to the GMX Twitter, is that they're going to coexist together. Mostly because I believe the the main function of GD is essentially to highly incentivize taking up the counter trade, uh, or mm-hmm. essentially the opposite direction of like wherever the the momentum is for like a particular asset. Whereas like mm-hmm. GLP is both you know long shorts and swaps. Um, I'm not entirely sure if swaps would be entirely funneled through GD. Um, I mean I don't see why it wouldn't be, but. Um, that's kind of just going into like a lot of details that I'm right. right now just kind of like speculating. But as far as we know right now, they would like, it is planned for them to be deployed alongside each other. And then that's why I mentioned GD would be on a separate chain as well. Great. And that, that's really helpful. And I know that a lot of this is, is very long-term. Um, and, you know, maybe let me, uh, we're actually over our, our mark. Um, but before we wrap it up, you know, we've heard some really interesting things from GMX, uh, today. Um, and obviously, you know, mommy shared quite a bit, um, earlier as well. So do we have any more audience questions, um, for either of us? Happy to answer. Definitely a lot of alpha to, 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 to process. Totally. Yeah. We might need Oh, hey there. How all are good, you? All good. Thank you so much for this, um, I guess, podcast, the Twitter space uh, talk. Uh, it was super informative. So I just basically want to uh, ask a question about um, the capital efficiency and also the deep liquidity of that part. If um, possible, would you mind kind of explaining again in terms of oh, what's the mechanism that makes it way more efficient than other uh, exchanges, I guess. Thank you. Sure, sure. Um, definitely kind of like uh, ran through that the first time and there are some nuances I could break down. So um, I guess the first thing I'll say is in any kind of DeFi space, right, the idea is you're provisioning liquidity from all kind of different sources, disparate actors, and people who are essentially, you know, strangers, you know, anonymous, synonymous, all different kinds of people. And the main question is, you know, across this very wide group of people, which you might not have a lot of data on, right? How do you incentivize their capital to your platform? And the conventional thinking has been, oh, come up with a platform token that may or may not have a particular function, but has some value just because, you know, there's some liquidity behind it, some hype. Um, you know, people are currently, you know, circulating it in anticipation of this hype. And so, you know, they say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with this platform token. I won't even have a supply. Maybe it has a supply. We'll talk about that later. But what we'll do is we'll just kind of like reward people, this platform token at this 
high APR rate, you know, and it'll kind of just go down as capital pulls in. And once we have enough capital, the APR will have been, you know, gone down at that point. And maybe the project will have done something with that capital, right? That's the typical, you know, kind of thinking for most, you know, uh, projects, especially where they're trying to make markets with, you know, uh, a, a large amount of liquidity. The issue with that is that it's not sustainable because uh, for two reasons. One, the APR goes down as capital um, or TVL increases. But the other thing that can possibly and then does tend to happen is that the people accruing the rewards, right, this platform token at a high rate, who don't really have an incentive to hold it, start to sell it. And what you really start to see is a complete tumble and collapse, right? This is very um, normal for a lot of like, you know, Binance smart chain projects. You know, it was kind of a thing early on with like, you know, Phantom and even, you know, some of the newer chains like Moonbeam or Moon River, right? Is with the APR collapsing just because of TVL growing and then people also dumping the token, you kind of have like this catastrophic sell-off. And that's just to say, like, the conventional way of thinking about liquidity provision is to provide unsustainable rewards. So what GMX did to kind of rectify that issue, and that issue is really, right, it's just temporary liquidity, right? We want to make sure that our liquidity is parked there for a long time, is we need to come up with a sustainable uh, reward rate and kind of, like, structure that encourages capital not only to you know deposit but to remain deposited on our platform and so that main model to me that main pull and attraction was the fact that as a platform x and you know the platform decided that 70 percent of all the fees collected by the the platform 70 percent of the platform's revenue is going to go back to um liquidity providers and as eth that I mean, I don't I honestly cannot think of any other project that so openly and freely kind of revenue shares with such a critical component of their structure, right? Which are the liquidity providers. Like every project is built on like the capital that is underlying it, right? And GMX decided to take the I guess the in my opinion, the very noble route of saying, hey, like we're going to take more than half of the revenue we generate as a platform and we're going to share it with our, our our liquidity providers. And I think our liquidity providers understand what that means to be able to receive yield in something that's a valuable asset like Ethereum as opposed to like some platform token that may or, not, may or may not be made obsolete by, you know, the previous factors that we mentioned before, TVL increasing and people dumping the token, which accelerates just a general decrease, both in the incentives and the price of the token. Um, it also means that our providers, not in addition to just getting ETH, they're also getting a long exposure to Ethereum and Bitcoin and a 50% stable hedge against that long exposure. So they are getting a novel crypto index that exposes them to all the assets they want to be exposed to anyways, on top of netting them a sustainable yield over time that is paid out in ETH rewards. I cannot think of another project that does 
anything really as mutualistic and as generous and as sustainable as that right now. And I think because of that, because of that sustainability, we've been able to to instill a kind of like confidence and a kind of standard for our, our, our capital depositors that has allowed us to, for instance, maintain over $100 million in liquidity alone on just Arbitrum Network, even during this bear market. And that is something that um, I hope that we continue to build on. And I think that's something that we lead by example on. That's great success over there on Arbitrum. Uh, congratulations. And I just want to add another question. So in terms of uh, 70% of the fifth share, um, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have in terms of um, longevity over the treasury management? That's a great question. Um, has, it has been discussed in our community, right? Um, it wasn't originally actually even 70%. For those who were early investors, um, the original kind of revenue share was supposed to be 30% for GMX, which it's always been. So that's why, you know, GMX, I think, has been doing really great. Um, before, it was just 50% to GLP, and then 20, 20% was supposed to go to a floor price fund, which is supposed to uh, support kind of like a base peg for GMX. What happened with the floor price fund is that GMX essentially excelled in its price appreciation way faster than the floor price fund could keep up with. So what we figured was that it would be more important really to continue incentivizing the provision of liquidity than it would be to kind of attempt to provide a, a backing price for um, GMX. So what has happened now is, right, is we have what we currently have, which is, you know, GMX running with the way it has would cost, you know, over $40 million in fees for, you know, all time um, running, um, regularly doing over $100 million in volume daily, 24 hours. Um, but there is the question of, are we maybe paying too much for our capital when we could be maybe doing something else a little bit more with that? And that kind of goes back to the first part of your, your question, Patricia, about like, you know, capital efficiency, um, right? With such liquidity, right, we've been able to provide traders, you know, long and short, um, you know, entry options and swaps. And then we've been able to kind of increase our swaps with our integrations, but that doesn't mean that there aren't places where we can still possibly do more with the capital we have around. And so um, one of the things that people have kind of been wondering is, what if, for instance, we took a portion of our Ethereum and maybe just like staked it in Lido or something like that? Or what if um, we took a portion of our stables and put them in like a tri-crypto on Curve or something like that to earn a yield on top of that? Right. These are all questions that um, we are considering right now and have been asked by the community and we've asked ourselves as part of the team. And so it it's a question that we have to definitely navigate carefully as well. Because it is, again, that revenue split is, you know, a part of the core reason why our, our capital you know, depositors are where they are now and still you know, happily parked in GLP. So it, it's a question of one, maybe, right, especially if ETH rebounds, maybe we can get away with, you know, cutting fees off by like 10, 5%, something like that. Um, but it's something that it needs to be considered in the wider context. And it's also something that we always put up to a vote to the community. 
all that to say is like there's a lot of opinions. We've been discussing this pretty much since day one. And what we do know for sure is that right now it works out. But there, like I said, it's a very open discussion as to should we change the revenue model and to what purposes or to what end will we change it? Um, so I wish I could give you a little bit more on like, you know, do we see this as being like a long, like, it, like it works, you know, it could, it can continue working like this, but there is also an appetite for some kind of change and for some kind of change in the direction of being a bit more efficient, being a bit more, um, hungry for some more value to be returned to, to stakers and holders. So, you know, these are just things that we're going to have to juggle kind of going into the future. Hopefully that kind of answered your question. If it didn't answer your question, let me know and I'll be happy to try again. That's a super good answer. Thank you. Thanks so much and, and appreciate the, the really detailed um, answer. So Jonathan, um, you just hopped on. Do you have a question for us? I did have a question. Thank you. I was curious how if you guys put your stables in the TriCrypto pool, you maintain that 50% downside hedge since that pool is obviously 66% Bitcoin and Ether. Well, that is that is the uh, premise or the, the point of our vault strategy. So it's it's a good question. It's an important one, right? So you know, with uh, traditional GLP, I mean, it's a very desirable asset. I mean, personally, I hold it in part because it's not delta neutral, right? GLP is fifty percent stables, as you pointed out, and then you know the remainder is primarily Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so it has you know a modest level of market exposure. And, you know, so it will move um, during, you know, volatile periods um, such as in you know, the past few weeks, um, not not as much as holding, you know, Bitcoin and ETH directly, but still um, significantly. Um, and so, you know, for a lot of people, that's actually a desirable, um, you know, profile for an index-like asset such as GLP to have because, you know, there's not massive downside risk, um, but it still captures some of the upside of the, you know, growth of, um, really just the outperformance of Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, but, you know, our thought in creating the vault strategy that we have built is that, you know, there, there's a lot, GLP is, is an unbelievably um, valuable asset, um, largely not, not only because of its index-like qualities, but because of the claim it has on fees from the GM platform. Um, as you know, it generates about 70%, or it collects about 70% of the fees as well as the um, value from liquidations, right? That the GMX, the protocol essentially keeps, right? When um, traders are liquidated on the platform. And that that accumulates to holders of GLP. Um, and how, how appealing would it be to have um, a way of getting, you know, that exposure to the growth of the GMX platform and, you know, the increasing number of, of users who are trading on it and, you know, the growth in its fee revenue potential without having to take any market risk, right? And so what we've done with our vault is we have offset the market beta, essentially, um, the market delta of the GLP asset by placing short positions on Bitcoin and on Ethereum using Tracer DAO's um, leveraged perpetual pool tokens. And what's really special, two things are really special about Tracer's um, products. The first is that they are, um, they never liquidate. They, they have a completely different model. It's quite innovative. And there's zero liquidation risk. Um, 
in, and so they can be held long term and you know provide an ongoing hedge um, you know to whatever degree you want and they're also incentivized themselves with tracer emissions so they they are yield generated so what we've done is we've paired the tracer um, perpetual pool tokens with the GLP asset right to achieve you know full delta neutrality um, but the vault still has a claim actually has a claim both on tracer because um, tracers um, tokens will soon start collecting fees from uh, from their platform um, and as a claim very large claim on on the fees generated by the GMX platform and that you know forms the basis of the yield for the vault um, and the one thing I'll add that you know we think at least is quite exciting about the vault is that the vault is not capped in terms, we say 30% plus APR, but that doesn't mean that it stops at 30% um, or, you know, some, some number above 30%, meaning that, you know, if, you know, as we've seen, GMX continues to attract new users, generates more fee revenue, more TVL migrates onto Arbitrum, um, and therefore the ETH APR for GLP continues to grow, um, so who should, you know, the APR in the vault. And the only difference is that the vault has, has you know, stripped out any, any market exposure. So it's just this pure delta neutral play on the growth of GMX and, and Arbitrum. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Great. And, you know, we're well over time, so I think it's a good time to uh, call it. But I just want to thank everyone. Um, thanks so much. For, uh, for joining us, uh, Fridigal. And, you know, we'll be talking soon. Very excited about X4, um, and we'll, as well as all the other cool things you guys have in the pipeline. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. We're going to have some really exciting um, announcements soon, so stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Good evening, everybody.